Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Falsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Per Åkerberg. I'm the CEO of Voyodo. Maybe my answer will be a little bit uh, different here because I think when you talk about uh, go-to-market, I think it's, again, it evolves the whole company. And I think, first of all, you need to have the, you know, decide your ICP, the best product for your defined market. So again, making sure that your product is really superior and that your salespeople can really talk about you know how we win and why we win and making sure that you you know understand your position in the market but it's also concerning that when you have a multi-tenant product you also need to make sure that you have rapid onboarding that's been the trend for a long time in in the software market that the old days when you have a lengthy customizable implementation product is long time gone you really need to make sure that the product is uh, package you have uh, uh, pre-packaged integration to third-party systems if that if you need to integrate the third-party system and you also should have an onboarding portal so you know you have a self-service and the customer can log in and log into the system and make sure that they understand what steps needs to take before they get onboarded on on the on the SaaS product thirdly uh, you also since it's uh, multi-tenant we as a supplier need to be uh, proactive and tell the customers who is not doing that good how they can improve the usage of the product with improvement workshop, uh, trainings, you know, on-site consultants. And that needs to be communicated to the customer in the first pitch, basically. We have the best product for ICP. We're going to take you live quickly. We have no intention of having a length implementation product with steering committee and all that bullshit, fixed onboarding. And thirdly, making sure that customers feel comfortable and secure that we as a supplier, we know when you're doing good, we know when you're not doing good and how we can improve and help you achieve your ROI. And that's need to be communicated by the sales team. So it's not just about, you know, having a quick product feature, you know, pitch is about the whole strategy for, for the SaaS company. And that's what we have done in Medius, you know, we, you know, have, constantly taking down the onboarding time and we have a very proactive support support or customer success and we're doing the same here at, at Voyodo now uh, we should be well known to the market having a strong product which we have and then really uh, working on decreasing the onboarding time and customer success so I think that's really the powerful message uh, a buyer would like to hear when I buy software I always ask about these three things um to make sure that, that the supplier or the vendor really thinks about the whole spectrum. If you know that three steps, you know, you know, sales know how to win over competition. The implementation know how to do quick onboarding. Support need to understand how, you know, if everything is, is very ICP, you know exactly what kind of support questions you will get. And, and product development know how to, you know, build a very competitive product. So it's so important that you stay focused on the strategy. And I meet a lot of, you know, new scale-ups and, <clears throat> and it's really sometimes you can feel that they are 
little bit debating on the ICP and it's very attempting sometimes to go outside your ICP because it's a deal and you can customize your product and you get some cash, which I understand, I, you know, I understand the, the business or the, the financial impact of getting cash, but, but long-term that is not so good for you because you're going to have an odd bird in your family and that's going to require that you, you know, have two, you know, code branches, for instance, on the product and stuff. And that's going to just, uh, you know, keep you not focused and have two different customer bases. You really need to keep your your eyes on, on the strategy and, and not not allow yourself to take the easy money. Stay focused. Hi, my name is Petri Hedborg, CEO and founder of Modular Finance. I would say that the best advice you can get is not to strive for going from zero to a hundred customers directly. So, so you don't have to spend one year, two, three years on like preparing everything, uh, the, the, the absolute best possible way and, and, and then getting out there to, to like conquer the market in a year. For, for me, it's about, uh, getting one customer at a time. Uh, of course, you need to have a, 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 a ready product so you can charge for it from day one. I believe that you should have the actual pricing of the product in the long term set from the start. Then you can go out and say, okay, first six months or first 12 months or even first 18 months, you will get a discount, either a, a, a staircase model or just a flat discount. So you tell the customer, okay, this product won't be completely ready and you will get a discount for that. But after this discount period is done, you can expect that the product is fully functioning in a way. So I think it's much better to sign a contract with an actual price and with discounts rather than just signing some kind of demo contract and then getting into the talks of what what uh, what it should cost. So signing contracts with the actual price, with discounts, and then truly listening to the customers and uh, using the knowledge from, that you get from the customer the, the right way, not just to adapt uh, very customer-specific needs, but, but rather having a, a product management that's really close to the account executives where you uh, value what changes to be made in the product and, and really show the first customers that you care uh, and, and that you are uh, adaptable and not too focused on just this is sauce is one product. We cannot do company specific things. You have to have balance there to, to show them that you care and to show them that it's worth working with a small player rather than a big global company that where everything takes so much time. Hi, I'm Lena. I'm the founder and CEO of Bright Payments, a fintech based in Stockholm, processing instant payments all across Europe. Bright is already in 24 European markets. What's your secret when expanding a SaaS company to a new market? That's a really good question, Matt, I must say. Um, I think what we have done is that we have focused very much on sort of speaking to the customers that we already have and looking at where they want to expand to because we operate typically with quite sort of enterprise customers that are quite international themselves. And um, that has helped us making sure that we get traction in each and every market early on um, so that we have usage of our product in that local market um, quite quickly. 
um, which then obviously helps getting more traction into that product. So from a commercial point of view, um, that has been, I think, sort of our go to market um, rather than just building a product, making it available and then hoping that someone is going to use it, which I think in some SaaS business models is, of course, the way to go. But since we're a B2B2C model, um, that has served us really well. The other is um, perhaps on, in our end, what's been our secret is that we're just we have a really new tech stack. Um, so that makes it rather easy to build on the product and to expand internationally. And we have a pretty diversified team from more than, I think, at this point, 25 different countries um, that already has some sort of typically some international experience that has helped build product um, for those markets. So those are maybe the two things I would say, sort of focusing on the customers, making sure getting early traction has really worked for us. And secondly, um, a tech stack that allows you to um, sort of build multiple markets also at the same time. Can you share, Lena? some of your best practices around go-to-market for a startup? Hmm. So I think one of the things that characterizes startups is that sort of your, first of all, your funds are limited when you're planning a launch or a sort of go into market, which means that you can't just do a huge campaign and put a lot of money into that. And the other is that you probably have limited experience. Um, so you don't have another 10 markets that you've previously launched if you're looking at geographic expansion. Um, of course, or if you're just taking product to market, more generally speaking, then you definitely don't have experience when you do it for the first time. So I think in the absence of both a lot of funds and a lot of experience, um, I think what has worked really well for me is looking sort of at learnings from other businesses and understanding what has worked for them and also understanding how the market has changed since they did their go-to-market, because I think that's really often ignored. Um, because I think there's a lot of companies like, okay, but look, you know, th this big tech company, they did this and it worked super well. And then I often think, well, well that was 10 years ago, right? So it doesn't really apply today, does it? Um, if I look at payments, for example, um, the way that payment companies went to market 10 years ago um, was in the middle of the boom of e-commerce when payment volumes were shifting from offline to online because people started online shopping on a really large scale. And that, for example, meant that a lot of the online shops that you would contract and payments would grow really strongly um, just on the back of that. Today, the market is a lot more consolidated. Um, and payment companies, so the customers you acquire, you, you can't expect them to be five times the size in two years. And that will impact the way that you go to market in the sense of what kind of customers you should be targeting, how you should be acquiring those customers, how efficient you need to be in managing them, um, their lifetime value for, for you, um, as a business. And I think so I would that that perhaps is, is one of the things that I've spent most time thinking about sort of how the market differs compared to uh, a decade ago, for example, and then looking at what have other payment companies done to be successful. And we have built our go to market strategy on the back of that on the back of those learnings. And I think so far, yeah, I'd like to think it has served us pretty well. Hi, my name is Piotr Pisaj, CEO and founder of Uncapped. Building a great go-to-market machine, I think, um, is, is a very, very, very long way. And I think it all starts with asking yourself fundamentally, asking yourself a question fundamentally, how customers want to discover products to actually buy it and then figuring out how to scale these channels. And I think it took us a lot of time and a lot of money wasted uh to really nail initially you know we were spending a lot of money on ads across the internet um 
which were not scaling. And in hindsight, it was kind of obvious. Do you really want to take a loan? Like, and if, and like, do you really want to take a loan because you saw some ad on the Instagram? And if yes, are you even a good customer? Probably the answer is no, right? And it takes you a lot of time to figure out that actually the number one way is to, okay, to be introduced to the client by someone they know, by someone they trust, you know, building a brand. You want the customers to come to you. It's a very, very slow, slow process. And this is thing number two. I think good go-to-market, efficient go-to-market takes time because I do believe in brand and I do believe in brand recognition and I do believe in brand awareness. And uh, having having a strong reputation of a market is uh, how to make it efficient. And there are things which, you know, you cannot just scale in uh, one day, right? And and the, the one thing I learned by analyzing thousands of companies, the faster you grow, the faster you will decline later. So when we are looking who to back, we love companies with a slower rate of growth, but very like, predictable and consistent, stable and efficient. Um, and this is what we try to do it in CAP. Like we don't try to grow at any cost. We are very, very focused on our customer acquisition. We look carefully at every channel, we revise it, and we put a lot of work to make every channel very efficient, be it outbound, be it marketing, be it partnerships. Uh, and every channel is supported by, you know, by marketing and making sure that the brand uh, but we have a good reputation, deliver the quality. And if you look back then, because I'm a strong believer that <laughs> the only way to learn is by your quite hurtful mistakes. Uh, what common mistakes do you see you did yourself with your go-to-market strategy earlier with Uncapped a few years ago? I think number one thing we didn't realize who exactly are we targeting and why. We went too wide in our marketing and we tried too fast with um, uh, some acquisition channels, uh, a bit marketing. Number two mistake we've done is I think we didn't iterate enough and we didn't hire good enough people straight away to lead our outbound team. I think outbound can be very, very powerful channel. And I think there's a lot of companies built on the outbound, but outbound done well it's a lot of science and probably art, but a lot of science, a lot of data, a lot of tools, a lot of processes, uh, and has to be really well thought through, managed, supported uh, by the whole organization. And finally, I think we didn't have a right partnership strategy. And again, partnerships, if done well, can also be quite interesting and scalable channel, but they are very, very slow, very, very painful. And there is a million type of partnerships. So one has to really know how to do it well to, to, to make it work. And I think it's very, very easy to overinvest uh, and then get burned. So I think it's one of these channels where we have to like keep investing a little bit and slowly increasing the investment in the channel. Uh, because if you just start to put uh, putting out of people and expect results in six months, nine months, you will realize it's not working and you'll be disappointed. And if you invest a little and, you know, keep coming and keep coming and keep growing, there's a chance for you to make it work. Hey, my name is Lars Grønnegård, CEO and co-founder of Dream Data. I think if you are, when you're starting up completely from scratch, 
like we were, um, it's super important to like one, don't just build a product, go to market while you're building the product, because otherwise the risk is that you're building a product that no one will buy. So always test your sort of most risky assumptions. And the most risky assumption as a startup is usually that if I invest a lot of time in building this product, someone will buy it. That's a super risky assumption. So turn it around, uh, go and figure out if somebody actually wants to buy the product you're thinking about and then build it if somebody wants to buy it. And the other thing is build as little as possible, uh, delay any commitment in terms of uh, you know, anything that is a commitment, delay it as long as you can, because that way you're sort of, you're mitigating risk. If you can, you know, if you can get very far with a prototype, well then go quite far with the prototype before you build. Um, and then of course, assume you'll have to do a lot of cleanup uh, and sort of, <laughs> you'll have a lot of work cut out for you, but it's good work because now you know you're working for something that matters, right? You know that, you know, the features that you thought would be awesome, somebody's actually going to use them. And then it makes sense to build them, right? Don't go the other way and build a lot of features and then realize that nobody wants them. Uh, so that's a fundamental uh, way of thinking about the early stage sort of go to market. So mix up um, product development and go to market at that very early stage. And then I think we made maybe... Um, one thing I would consider like a mistake, something I wouldn't do again. I think we went, our idea of what does it mean to focus was maybe a little bit flawed. We thought that saying, okay, we are a product for B2B companies. That was focus. Um, and I realized sort of that that was not focus enough. Like when you are a small team, you should focus way more. I think, um, what sort of changed my mind was somebody talked me, told me about a company that was going to market and the ICP was uh, B2B SaaS companies that didn't have a user interface. So they were sort of pure API product. That was their ICP uh, for, the, for the first 1 million euros or dollars of revenue. And then I realized, okay, that was, that was a different kind of focus from what we were doing. Um, so I think challenge yourself and 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 think of like how, how how much can you focus can you find a very narrow icp that you can deliver your initial value proof on like maybe build the first half a million a million uh dollars uh, euros of of uh, annual recurring revenue um and stay there because that way you're sort of focusing finding a small group of companies that you can make like very, very enthusiastic about your product. Hello, my name is Anna Goldstrand and I am acting CEO at Mentimeter. This year, we have been working more, uh, more with segmentation of accounts. So uh, looking at the most strategic accounts and how we should work with them, which is the big companies, more than 10,000 employees, and that has a lot of licenses or license potential. And then we have what we call high potential uh, accounts. And then we have uh, tech touch, which is basically like smaller teams, smaller, medium businesses, but they can self-serve self -serve a lot of their needs. 
Uh, and on the strategic account, uh, we had an NRR now of 155%. So basically what we see is that uh, customers start with some licenses, 50, 100, 150 or something like that. Uh, but then when they realize the value of Mentimeter, but also when they get to work with customer success and customer success helps them to understand how they can use a Mentimeter uh, within the organization. Then the next time when the time's for renewal, one year later, then they uh, they want more licenses, basically. Uh, and uh, right now, the I mean, working with existing customers is more or less more than 80% of our ARR is towards existing customers next year. So it's... Uh, it is huge, uh, basically, uh, and and that is such a, I mean, it's such a, a quality stamp of your business <laughs> that uh, that the customers uh, are staying and also uh, upgrading, uh, and I think that that sometimes that's like a bit that we forget that about the sauce model a bit that it's like. I mean, we talk from our perspective, like it's great with SaaS and subscription and the money just coming in. But I, but I guess that the best thing with SaaS is that we all always need to provide value because if we stop providing value, then uh, the, the customer will, uh, will churn. So, so I, I think that, that is the perspective that I'm trying to talk more about uh, within the organization. Um, what has been very much on our, our agenda within Mentimeter has been product-led sales. So that is something we talk a lot about. So, uh, which I think is a very interesting co- concept because it's not only about bottom-up and create like creating a demand and then then like that the sales come after the value. It's also about thinking about how can the product actually drive sales in itself. How can the product inspire? How can it educate? How can it be a salesperson uh, without having a, a real salesperson there? And also, how can it be customer success? Uh, and I think that is super interesting. So we we are working a lot now with with um, um, to identify like product qualified leads and product qualified accounts. So basically, we can get the data from the product uh, when, and then we can use that data either. Sales can use it to contact uh, accounts that obviously has already a lot of value created uh, within the organization, or we can actually use it to, to send in-app messages like, do you know that you're 100 people using Mentimeter in your organization? Maybe it's better for you to, to go to a, a, a joint workplace. So I think that concept is super uh, interesting, and I think it's... I mean, if we've been talking about product-led growth for many years, now it seems like <laughs> product-led sales is the next uh, thing. Hello, Samir here. I'm the CEO at GetAccept. I would say uh, sales. <laughs> so even if we were four people who had different roles, all of us did sales in the early days, which means all of us actually jumped on the phone, called our network, getting in those first customers, getting in those first reference cases that we could use to do more sales in the future, but also that we could use to develop the product. So I would say the first like 100 customers were purely, purely done by yeah, hammering the phone and, and, and uh, yeah, doing sales calls and, and using our network to reach out. Overall, I, I mean, we didn't have 
the same maybe that we have today about we know that a certain amount of activity gives a certain result because i mean we all were very eager to just yeah get things done and get sales in so so overall uh, what we used was our network and started to set up calls and, and yeah, doing those calls and trying to get as many meetings as possible. So we, we did more or less only log if we had any opportunities. And we, we always decided coming into a week that we needed to generate a certain amount of opportunities to reach a certain goal end of week. In a good day, maybe five meetings. So it was quite busy in those early days, uh, and we were living in the U.S. as as some of us, some of you know out there, and and we did like double shifts, so working daytime towards uh, Sweden and then uh, nighttime towards toward or daytime towards uh, U.S. and and nighttime U.S. towards Sweden. So then we could squeeze another meeting or two in there. So yeah, five was a what what five was a good number. Going back to your learnings from international expansion. Spreading wings or deep dive with feet on the ground? So I think what we have seen is like when we find a market that works and that is big enough, we try to deep dive. Meaning, yeah, yeah, making sure that that market gets it up to a certain uh, um, yeah, grade of um, uh, company um, customers and, and getting that to work. Because then you also build a brand through those ambassadors that you create and suddenly it creates leads by itself so i think that is an important part that i have that i've seen so far that going deep is is in some cases better than going broad and if you go broad you need to make sure that you understand what the um, outcome from that is on yeah employees hiring people setting up bank accounts if you need that etc uh, translating things the product uh, content hiring people and then suddenly hire someone and they want everything in 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 that certain language which is maybe dutch then let's say uh, and yeah it creates quite a lot of a fuss that you need to take care of you has been listening two quick ones number one if you got some sort of value here please tell a friend or a colleague to listen to that episode too so they can get value too and number two press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. A huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes to keep on learning.